If you've got your Bibles with you today, can you turn to Jeremiah chapter 29? We're going to be continuing our DNA value series. So we wanted, wanted to kick off, uh, although I say that it's the 20th of February, we wanted to kick off the new year uh, looking at who we are as a church. What do we value? Who will you, if you look, if you come to Good First on a Sunday morning or you meet us in a bar or at a small group or whatever it is, we hope that these values, these DNA values that we are talking about are things that are going to shine through, that you're going to see this is who they are. And the first thing that we looked at was we're a church that love God, okay, love God, love Gothenburg. We looked at uh, Jesus as he talked to the scribe, this lawyer, about the greatest commandment and he reminded the lawyer of the Shema. This prayer, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, the Shema. Love God. And we spoke about that's who we want to be as a church. And so hopefully when you come amongst us, you say, well, you're people who love God. Jesus, do for out. I hope you see that as we lift up our voices. This is a people who love God. We want to live like that, not just on a Sunday morning, but all of life. Then last week, we had Alan Rose serve us brilliantly by opening up another value of ours, that we love the gathering. We love the church. We're passionate about church. And he just set out church and got us excited about church in just a brilliant, brilliant way. If you, haven't, if you weren't here last week, or even if you were here last week, that preach is now on our website. I've been slow to put up preaches, so I've not put up any other preachers, but I put that one up straight away because it was so good. <laughs> uh, so do check that out. Uh, it's goodfirst.se. No, no, gfg.church. Uh, check that out. It's about the church. It's so, so, so helpful. Um, and then today we're going to be looking at what it means to be a church that love Gothenburg. Okay, so love God. We've looked at love the gathering. We've looked at, we're going to come back to that as well. Um, but love Gothenburg because... Jesus doesn't just start with DNA, value number one, love God, and kind of says, okay, let you figure that out yourself. But he brings this other command, Leviticus 19, in which originally was two different commands, love God, love your neighbor. And he brings them together and says, if you want to love God, you love your neighbor. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. It just doesn't work. And so Jesus does something that hadn't been done before by bringing these two commands from two different books together and saying, this this is the greatest commandment. Scribe asks for one, Jesus gives two, brings them together. Love your neighbor, or as we put it, love Gothenburg. And scripture is is a love story. From the first page to the final page where we meet this wedding, The whole of scripture sings of God's love. This isn't just a New Testament thing where we can read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Actually, every page of scripture talks of a God who is in his very nature love. Jonah is a great example of this. If I say Jonah, we probably start to think about a fish, a man getting swallowed by a fish three days, could that really happen? We start to go down that route. The reality is that Jonah is a book all about a God 
who loves a city. Ray Steadman, a theologian, says this about the book. It's probably the best known yet least understood book of the Bible. So don't think that Jonah is primarily a story about a man and a fish. It is a story all about God's heart. Jonah is a book about a God who loves the city. And that's just one example of a God who loves the world. John 3.16. God loves the world. God loves Nineveh, the place where he sent Jonah. And so what does he do? He sends Jonah. Love your neighbor. Let's start reading from Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, verse 4. It's going to come behind me in the NIV. I will be reading from that also, hopefully. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons, have daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Okay, we're jumping into Jeremiah, so just a little bit of context I think would be helpful. And this book surrounds the Israels, and they have been defeated, the Israelites have been defeated by the Babylonians. So we read in Daniel 1, for example, that God has kind of given the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, over to the Babylonians. The Israelites have been so unfaithful that God has kind of said, I'm handing you over. And that's to the Babylonians. Uh, And so we get to this point of the story and the Jews, the Israelites, are kind of in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're being taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And if we, uh, if we know the story of Babylon, we'll go all the way back to Genesis 11 where we meet Babel and the Tower of Babel and when they, they tried to build this big tower to show how impressive they were. This, this is Babylon, this is Babel, and it's this big city that really rules the known world. It's an empire, it's a powerful, strong empire that rules the known world. And they have defeated the Israelites. The Israelites are in a bad, bad place. Babylon was brutal. It was an environment hostile to God alien to God. It was an environment that we didn't worship. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. They didn't worship one God, they worshipped many, many gods. And we read stories about that in different books of the Bible. Daniel, for example, is a place where we can read about Israelites being told to worship this God and bow down before this piece of gold. It was an alien, scary, brutal environment. The Israelites were defeated. They were low. Babylon becomes their home. We read a little bit later, for 70 years, God says, you're going to be here. You're going to be in this environment that is hostile, alien, brutal, scary, oppressive. This is home for you now. I wonder, how would you respond 
if that was you. Psalm 137 catches a little bit of the raw emotions of the captured people. It says this, Alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks. We cried and cried. We remembered the good old days in Zion. That's where our captors demanded songs. Sarcastic they were, mocking they were. Sing us a happy Zion song, they said. Oh, how could we ever sing God's song in this wasteland? Make no mistake about it, the Israelites were in a very bad place. It was difficult. It was tough. And you can bet they were asking questions like, where is God? Why has this happened to us? And the first thing I want us to notice in, in this scripture are, are verses 4 and verses 7, where we read this, I carried you. This is God speaking to the Israelites through his prophet Jeremiah. And he says this, I carried you. And so the Israelites... They see things like chariots and horses and soldiers and defeat and despair and pain and suffering and God is at work. They see difficulty. What they don't see is that God is working his purposes, that God is carrying them even when it looks like he is nowhere to be seen. I carried you. I'm at work. And friends, this is a constant theme of Scripture. In apparent defeat, in darkness, in a tomb, there is victory. It's so important that we see this and that we get this because we look around and see the soldiers and the chariots and and defeat and despair and God is working and God is at work. And it's so, so, so important that we understand this. And I'm preaching to myself here because so often I look around and think, where is God? This is what the, the Israelites said. Kind of, where, where are you? We wept and we wept and we wept. No, God carried them. It's so, so, so important that we see that. Last week, uh, Alan introduced this Greek and Portuguese word, I've been told, economia, economy. The plans of God, that God is outworking a plan. He took us to Ephesians chapter 1, where God is working this plan to unite all things in heaven and earth in Christ. A plan, an economia, the economy of God. That nothing that is happening is random and out of control, but that God is putting everything together and he is working out his plan and his purposes So why are we here? Why are you here? It's great to look around and see some folk that have lived here all their lives, some folk who perhaps are on holiday here, people who are here for a lifetime, people who are here for just a couple of months, maybe work brought you here, family, you were born here, you can have Gothenburg till I die. I'm Tottenham till I die, but that's another story. (laughs) Sorry. Perhaps you love it here. Perhaps this is great. You, love, you just love Gothenburg. Perhaps it feels a bit more like Babylon to you. It's difficult. It's hard. You didn't want to be here, but you're here. You're here because your spouse brought you here, perhaps, for another reason. And it's difficult. Whatever 
reason you are here, it is God that has carried you here. It is God that has brought you here. Whether it is for a week or whether it is for a lifetime, God carries you here. There is nothing that is outside of his plan. It's so comforting to know that. So the Israelites, they see Nebuchadnezzar, the king. They see defeat. They see pain. They see suffering and despair and disappointment. God sees his plans coming together. I'm at work. I'm carrying you. I'm putting you where I want you to be. Plans of Israel, Genesis 12, being a blessing to the nations. These are my plans. I'm working them out. Even, even if you don't want to, even if it looks difficult, I am at work. I'm going to bless the nations, whether you like it or not. God is a God who loves. He's a God who wants to bless the nations. And so he sends the Israelites into the very nations that he wants to bless. And so the way that God blesses Nineveh, he sends Jonah. He works through a person, a man, a prophet, a, kind of like a, a prophet who runs away for a little while. The way he blesses Babylon, the way he showers his love on Babylon by sending the Israelites. So, what does that have to do with us? Good first, DNA, 2022, beginning of the year, February 20th. Stay with me, please. It's only seven weeks in. In, in many ways, for sure, we live in very different days. We don't live in Babylon. Babylon is now ruins. It is, it, it's not there. We, our city isn't called Babylon. It's in a different continent, speaking a different language. Many thousands of years later, we live in a very different place in one way. But in another way, we live in a very, very similar context. This part of the world, is it hostile to the Christian message? You better believe it. We now live in a time that's called post-Christian. So the values that we get as a society, governments, as a big society, aren't really based on Christian values anymore. They used to be one day in these parts of the world. Not anymore. We're post-Christian. Christian. And do we have many gods? Yeah, for sure we do. They're not all openly worshipped and bowed down before, but do we have the God of money, the God of celebrity, the God of self, the God of success? We do. And so in many ways, we are in a very different context. But in other ways, we're in exactly the same context as the Israelites found themselves in Babylon all those years ago. And friends, we are exiles. We are foreigners. Peter says this in 1 Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Do you feel that you don't completely fit in? Do you feel that the values being taught at your kids' school do not line up with the Bible, with your values? They don't. Because we're foreigners, we're exiles, we don't fit in. We're Israelites in Babylon. We're Christians in Gothenburg. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, for Peter, the Christian, is an exile. It's who we are. We get called many things in Scripture. Saints, friends, exiles, foreigners, aliens. It's who we are. And in this context, we have to ask God, what would you have us do. 
And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about this story in Mark 12 of this scribe kind of coming up to Jesus and saying, okay, well, greatest commandment. I've been looking. What, What are your thoughts on it? These are the greatest commandments, Jesus says. Love God, love Gothenburg. And then the story kind of just like fades away a little bit. Left a little bit open. And what's happening is Mark is inviting us into the story. He invites us into the story. And so what would you have us do, God, as exiles living in Gothenburg? Jesus would say this, the two greatest commandments, the greatest commandment, love God, love Gothenburg. Love God, love your neighbor. Friends, it's as complicated yet as simple as that. We are a people, and this isn't just a value, DNA value for Good First Gothenburg. This is a DNA value for every church in this city, in this nation, and the nations. A people who love God and love Gothenburg. It's great to see folk from England, from India, Brazil, loads of different places, everyone having one thing in common our love of God. And our love of our neighbor, in our case, Gothenburg. God has carried us here. God has carried you here. And that's through all sorts of different circumstances. And why he has placed us here is to live out a life of love for him, whether it's for this weekend here in Gothenburg or whether it's for life here in Gothenburg. And not only to love him, but to be a people who love this city. God worked out his love for Gothenburg through his church, through us. We are the Jonas. We are the Israelites. This is who we are. God loves this city. He absolutely loves it. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, onto a cross, broken, abused, laughed at, mocked, This is how deep his love runs for this city. And how does he want to represent and demonstrate that love today? Through us. Through his church. What a beautiful, beautiful privilege. Drawn into the story. Each of us taking our part in being a people who love Gothenburg. What a privilege. God has called you. He has carried you to love this city. So practically, what does that look like to be a people who God has sent? I want to suggest a few things that the Israelites did. They were present. They sought. They were seeking peace. And they prayed for the city. Presence, peace, prayer. Three Ps. Enjoy. Uh, firstly, love the city by being present. How do we love the city? We're present in the city. Notice all the different things that the Israelites are told to do. Build, settle, plant, marry, have sex, have kids, kind of keep on doing that. It's good. Sounds like good advice. I like it. Practical things to do. It's what God calls his people to do. Practical. Be present in the city. So how do we love this city? Be present. Story after story in the Gospels of Jesus are of him being present, of him being with people, building, planting. He's called a glutton and a drunkard. Why? 
because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's with people. He's present. He's not just kind of at the temple the whole time and hopping from one temple meeting to the other temple meeting. For sure, he is. But that's not all he's doing. He's out in the world. He is present. He's at barbecues. He's at big social events. He's at weddings, turning water into wine. God, uh, Jesus, God, is present. Ezekiel 8, we don't need to turn there, but we see Ezekiel, he has a house in Babylon. So he's kind of like, he's got this letter, he's got, he's, got, he's got the point. Okay, I'll buy a house, I'll build a house, whatever he did, I'm not sure. But he had a house. Daniel, again, we, we find out again, Daniel, a guy who's just working hard in Babylon. So hard that he gets all sorts of different responsibilities. Build, work hard, be present. Live life in the city. Don't kind of retract from it and hide behind a curtain or something. Live in the city. How is God going to love this city if we are all in Sunday meetings the whole time? He sends us out. And I've said this before, almost the most important part of a Sunday morning is in about half an hour when we get sent out. When we get sent out, all of us Every one of us has a different spear, spear, sphere is the word I'm looking for. We all carry spears in Sweden, for those of you that are new to this country. No, we all have a different sphere of influence, every one of us. And God, through us, sends us out to love in those groups of people that we know. And the Christian temptation is just to go from one meeting to another. From Sunday to small group, to, to prayer, back to Sunday, to, oh, a conference, we will go to that, to, to prayer, to Sunday, to small group, to whatever. And we're praying for our friends. We don't have any. We're praying for them, though. We don't see them. We're praying for them, though. We're praying for salvation. We don't get to speak to anyone who's not a Christian, because we're always with Christians. It's the Christian temptation. I worked for the church in the UK, and I spent all my time just in Christian meetings, praying for non-believers, but not speaking to non-believers. God is super practical with the Israelites. How are you going to bless the nations? Be present, build. That's different for each one of us. But friends, God has put you in a place. Yes, Sunday meetings are super important. As we gather, as we hear different people worship God. Oh, so important. Equally important is being a people who are present in the city. The second thing uh, is that they were called to seek the peace of the city. So Romans 14, 17 says this, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. John 14, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus, Isaiah 9, is the Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace. So it kind of makes sense that as Christians, we bring peace. We seek peace. How do we do that? We introduce the King, the Prince of Peace. There's no greater peace to be found than in Jesus Christ, Prince of Peace. 
And so we introduce him. He brings peace. He is the Prince of Peace. But not only do we introduce the Prince of Peace, but we just very practically with our lives, we live out peaceful lives. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, make it your ambition. And I love it, okay, like what's your goal in life? Kind of, you know, what's your goal in life? What are you aiming for? It says this, to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Brilliant. It's great, isn't it? Practical. It's good. What's your ambition in life? This is what it should be, to lead a quiet life. To lead a life of peace, to seek the peace for the city. Mind your own business. That's your ambition. So how do we do that super practically? Well, at work, we're the first to say sorry. Even perhaps when it feels like we've been wronged. Is it easy? Is loving your neighbor easy? It's what God's calling us to be, a people of peace. And so we say sorry first. We don't necessarily need to win every argument. There's that saying, isn't it? You, you win the argument, you lose the person. We don't need to like, be people who are always winning every argument, saying, well, this is what it says in Scripture, this is what it says in Scripture. Actually, we live out peace. We let other people win. Let other people win. That's okay. It's not a problem. God is carrying. God is at work. We love. We bring peace. We're content with what we have. Has anyone noticed the strive for more and more and more? And you get that new car, and then you need that new house, and then you need that new outfit, and then you need this, and then you need to become smarter. You need to go to university again and again and again and again and again. Be content. Be at peace with what you have. These are things that are going to make us shine in the darkness. A people who are seeking peace. People who are part of the kingdom of peace. And finally, pray. There are 650 prayers in the Bible. 66 books in the Bible. So that's about 10 prayers per book. Slightly below. Just looking at so many like PhD students and teachers here. <laughs> Suddenly got really nervous. It's <laughs> a lot of praying. We saw... In Genesis, right at the beginning, God speaks to Adam and Eve. He has communication. And through Scripture, we see a people who pray. God calls us to be a people who pray. One reason for this is that prayer is powerful. Prayer opens doors. We're, we're, a, we're a testimony of that as a church. Time after time. You're a testimony of that. I can guarantee you everyone in this room has been prayed for by people. I can guarantee it. I love the quote Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great preacher, said about prayer. He says this, Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Okay, so unlimited power. So it's the small thing that moves the really, really big thing. Prayer is... It's a small thing that moves a really, really big thing. That's like me 
putting Spurgeon into my words. Small thing, big thing. It's got the same kind of ring to it, hasn't it? Me and Spurgeon. Prayer is so, so, so powerful. It's so, so important that we get this, that we understand this. How do we love this city? We pray for it. Pray for it, pray for it, pray for it. I honestly believe we can look back on this moment in 10 years and God will have answered prayers that we pray for this city. And I think as Christians, we are good at praying for our, kind of like our non-believing friends to get saved. We are good at praying for our non-believing friends if they're sick. But that's kind of where the line stops. I believe God would call us to be a people who pray for all sorts of different things for our non-believing friends. Their work situation. That their business grows that house they're going to buy, that they get it. That we're not just praying for non-believing friends to be saved. Absolutely super important. And if you've ever been to one of our prayer meetings over the last six or so years, you will know we pray a lot for that. But it doesn't need to stop there. I love the story of Nina's mum, who recently prayed for her neighbour's dog. Brilliant. Bit strange, but brilliant. Why not? Let's just pray for the city. Pray for her leaders. Pray for peace. Be a people who pray. Can I invite the band up? So this is, um, this is something that we're going to continue working out. How do we love Gothenburg? Well, we're going to continue. Al's going to be talking about being a people of the kingdom, the gospel. Next week, we're going to continue looking at every week, if you like, we're talking about this. How do we love Gothenburg? How do we love God? Everything is a result of being a people who love God and love Gothenburg. Why do we love scripture? Because we love God and love Gothenburg. Why do we love the gathering? Because we love God and we love Gothenburg. And it's not easy. But Jesus, as he was leaving, said, it's okay. I'm sending someone. I'm sending the helper who's going to help you. The Holy Spirit. And so as we become a people who look to seek the peace, a people who pray, a people who are just present, we want to be a people filled with the Spirit. Because this is impossible on our own, friends. But with the God who carries us, with the God who is at work through us, everything is possible.